Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viv section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always... Connor Rebush. That's me. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. With a featured, with a main event between Roman Delidze and Nasuddin Imovov. Two stereotypical middleweights, as stereotypical as I get. Especially on the Delidze side. Imovov really has aspirations to be something more. Mm-hmm. You can see that he's watched Walter Waite's fight before. And he's like, man, <laughs> I bet I could do some of that. Yeah. Whereas Roman Delidze has watched Derek Lewis fight before. And he's like, man, I could do some of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you could probably do a lot more if you thought about it, yeah. Roman and yet, you got to feel like Imovov is also hampered by looking up at, like, Cyril Gaon and being like, well, I'm better than that. Well, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. So not not as much pressure to improve, maybe, as as, as he would uh, really yeah. benefit from. No. <laughs> he is a Cyril Gaon, or at least was a Cyril Gaon training partner, right? Uh, yeah, I believe he still is, unless yeah. Gaon is left behind the uh, Fernand Lopez team. Well, who, why would you ever do that? The guy seems like a born winner. Yeah, nothing, nothing like, uh, not nothing there in, in the MMA factory that at all suggests a toxic environment with a coach that cares more about his own success than that of his uh, pupils. No. Nothing at all. Nothing says trust me. I'm a good coach. Like relentlessly <laughs> shitting on one of your best fighters the moment they say, you know, I'm. I've decided, mm-hmm. without any public comment, I've decided to move on and like try a new gym. Nothing no, that's says. Good. Nothing says. No, no, you know, nothing says high-minded, uh, dedicated to the welfare of your your talent like immediately turning around in public and being like oh well they're a prima donna who only cares about themselves yeah i think it's um it's a good sign uh as a professional a sign of maturity to do the fight coach version of uh, revenge porn yeah that's good that's real good well, I... he should have done that lopez he should have published like a like a clip of Nganu looking like shit in the gym yeah <laughs> I'm surprised you did. Oops, none of them exist. <laughs> I uh-huh. lucked into I lucked into two generational physical talents in the heavyweight division. Damn it! But, for, but fortunately for Fernand Lopez, you know, time has only proven that Ngannou has no idea how to manage his career. Or that's true. He really should have figure stuck out with, uh, what good coaching looks like. Yeah, he should have stuck with Lopez. Hey. Yeah. 
you live and you learn. Yeah. Uh, but we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about uh, Molly McCann and Diana Belbita. Yes, that is appears to be our featured prelim for this <laughs> fight card, which at least is better. The, the Wikipedia entry for this fight card has Luana Carolina versus Julia Stoliarenko as the featured prelim. Oh, so it is. It is also though hilariously. It is such a UFC like. This is such a Bellator thing for the UFC to do. I'm always a little surprised when I see the UFC do it because I don't think Joe Silva would have would have stood for it. He was such a like uh flowchart nerd. But it's such a Bellator thing for the UFC to do for like Julia Stolyarenko to go to England to go to where was that? It, to go to London. And take a fight that is just absolutely tailor booked for Molly McCann to win it. Go out there, totally upset her, and get a big armbar win, only to have M- Molly McCann get a featured softball fight next, and for Julia Stoliarenko to be down the very like basement of the prelims. Yeah, that is such a like. Bellator, oh, you accidentally beat Aaron Pico. Well, we'll never have you back <laughs> to fight again. How could you do this to me? Yeah, move to make. And like I say, I think the Joe Silva days, it was all like, you win or we cut you. We don't care. We don't keep anybody that loses fights around. Mm-hmm. And so, like, losers just automatically had to leave town. And these days, it's much more they're they're realizing the all the machinations that go into trying to have fighters be popular enough to sell tickets, which is funny because they rely on that less than they ever did. Yeah. And it's so much more of a like. Oh, we're going to we're going to keep the fighters that we think have fan bases and keep them in prominent position no matter what. Yeah, they still are, are at least thirsty for um, fighters with regional pull. Yeah. And Molly McCann, she appears to have that. She does. Those Brits, they'll cheer for anything. They... Uh, <laughs> cheer hey, for anything when, you, when you have to anything. eat as much of that food as they do, everything yeah. starts to look appetizing. Yep. Nickname should be Molly Mushy Peas McCann. <laughs> right? I think the British version of a meatball probably involves mushy peas. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Everything appears to involve mushy peas, even their world-famous chicken, chicken burgers. They they um, almost certainly <laughs> have, have taken whatever meat might be in there, covered it in mushy peas, and then boiled it for <laughs> 20 to 30 minutes. And then serve it with yellow curry sauce. <laughs> <laughs> which which tastes strangely mostly like roux. Yeah. It doesn't really have much curry flavor as you would no, expect. No, it can't be spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that curry sauce. It's, it's not as the mayonnaise of curry. Yeah. Literally, ranch dressing is significantly more flavorful. I'm not joking. Yeah. Um, and then they're... Uh, 
you know, and then they're going to call it that wonderful appetizing phrase, scran. Nothing mm-hmm. sounds better to put in your face than some yes. good old scran. Wow. Ooh, I can't wait to blorf down some scran. <laughs> <laughs> Who's up for a blorf? Anybody? <laughs> for a cheeky blorf? <laughs> yeah. They, they just know how to make things sound appetizing over there. Yes. Um, that, in that kingdom, Molly McCann's queen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's where she's uh, moderately almost famous. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, they're trying to get her back on the horse. Yep. Um, and, uh, Diana Belbita is playing the part of horse. <laughs> yes, which, by the way, is the UK's second most popular protein. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they've um, I, I think they've done a good job uh, with that in mind of uh, putting this fight together because they don't want Molly McCann just to win. No, they want to remind people that Molly McCann is fun. Uh And so they've given her, um, a matchup against, uh, just a, like a pretty violent horse, (laughs) you know, (laughs) a pony that bites. Yeah. Mr. Ed off camera. You've heard the stories. He was the Harvey Weinstein of horses. <laughs> his, his antics isn't even the word. Um, yeah, I mean, Deanna Bobita is just going to, like, throw lots of punches with Molly McCann. Yeah, without any uh, power behind them at all. Yep. And, and that's why McCann's going to win, That the thing you yeah. just said. And also, it has to be noted, too, that McCann has always been better when she gets to go second. Yeah, She's always She is a female Ross Pearson, I believe, is the comparison we've made before. Yep. She she will take the initiative whenever it's given, but it's always better when she's getting to respond. Yeah, she's actually like a fairly accurate counterpuncher. And a very messy front foot striker. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, having the opponent bridge the distance uh, makes up a lot for the fact that she doesn't have much defensive skill. Yep. And uh, so, sh- Belbita being the kind of fighter who's just going to march forward throwing lots of sh- soft volume. It's pretty made for M- Molly McCann to look at her best. Pretty much. Should be relatively fun. Molly McCann should win. It would be very funny, though, if Diana Belbita can outgrapple Molly McCann. Oh, yeah. That would be very funny. Yeah, I don't it's, see it happening, though. I don't see it happening, but anybody who can get Molly McCann on her back has a, like, 75% chance of just out, absolutely wrecking her. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And Belbita will, she will clinch and try, like, a, a head and arm throw or... You know, God, God will she. So it would be really hilarious if they may they may both try head and arm throws in this fight. Yeah, it will be very funny if Molly McCann just lets herself get head and arm thrown and then wrapped up on the mat and like submitted. Yeah. Um, this is I will note too. There's a noted danger and caution here. This is Molly McCann's. Uh, first fight at 115 pounds, I believe. Oh, ooh, I didn't even clock that. 
Yeah, so she's finally taking making the drop down a division. I do not expect that to be easy for her. Mm-hmm. Even at uh, five foot four, she's pretty beefy. With short arms, she's beefy, and she's never seemed like a fighter that is particularly. I mean, her and. Patty both like these aren't fighters that you get the feeling that they are like running the tightest camp out, out of you know the yeah. out, out of training possible or right running the tightest diet and exercise regime out of training. McCann doesn't have a physique that screams to me like I have I I have done I am scientifically taking my diet and exercise down to the wire. Wow. Not that you know. Well, they live in northern England. Their diet is practically as unhealthy as ours. Yeah, and science is stopped around the witchcraft point. (laughs) (laughs) Going to the local herb woman for (laughs) nutritional planning. She's gone to the village peller for for her supplements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I can easily see... McCann struggling with this weight cut. But yeah, I got to pick McCann. It's just <laughs> Belbita is really just there to be a are you at all conscious enough of how to fight to work at this level? <laughs> if you are, then you should be able to beat Diana Belbita. So agreed. Yeah. Odds on the bout. McCann is a sizable favorite. Open at minus 233 is currently down at minus 256. Belbita opened at plus 203, currently up at plus 221. That brings us to a flyweight, men's flyweight bout. Charles Johnson. Azat Maxim, and uh, you know what? I talked about this recently with uh, an article I did on uh, Andre Arlovsky and the fact that the UFC has like let him get paid huge amounts of money just to show up for the last five or six years. It is nice to see. It is the nice, you know, if we're talking about, like, how Joe Silva would never kind of uh, keep fighters that lose bad fights around. Mm -hmm. The benefit of the modern UFC version where they just need more filler and are more, you know, trying to craft regional draws or things like that and being a little more... Uh, conscious of the politics of roster maintenance rather than just the pure, cold-eyed, dead-souled, I am smashing my toys together to find out who the best one is. Um, it's great to see somebody like Charles Johnson keep getting shots. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, he keeps failing, but he is a, he is a talented fighter who clearly can compete at this level. Yeah. 
you just can't seem to find a way to win. Yeah. And that feels too bad because Azat Maxim is just kind of a winner. Yeah. He, his game is thinner than it should be in the way that a lot of these uh, former Soviet state fighters are who have like a very you know they they came up with a very sort of um dedicated training skill set that they then bridged into MMA whether it's sambo or hand to hand combatives or uh you know full contact karate or freestyle wrestling or whatever mhm and then they get to like feast on people who aren't as nearly as gifted as they are. And, you know, they look really great doing that. And then sort of like you get the, you get them to a high enough level. And it's like, okay, you got to this point. We were talking about this with Ali Ashkab Kizriev on the main card where it's like, you're just a fundamentally trash striker. Like you got, you are 14 and 0 and 33 years old. And have been doing MMA for a decade now. And you just have a part of your game that doesn't exist. But they also, like, man, do these people, do these, these fighters tend to know what winning looks like? You know? They may not have developed a, a diverse MMA game, but they know what, they know how to win with the game that they've, that they've, they have developed. Mm hmm. And that kind of seems like Maxim to me. Like it's a busy fight behind the jab, sort of boxing focused flyweight game that may not be as powerful or as deep as it could be. And he, he shores it up with some wrestling that I don't know is all that thick or all that deep. And I don't know how well it'll survive at the higher levels of this, mm -hmm. but it's just a round after round. Know how to push, know how to create offense kind of game. And Charles Johnson could beat it, but so much of his game is about like waiting for his opponent to engage him and then figure out what to do after. He's he just fights from behind way too much. Yeah. I I I have to pick M Maxim. Yeah, I I basically agree with all that. John Johnson's real thing is that he's um <clears throat> he's a better fighter than he is a competitor. Yeah. He uh he I mean this is sort of what like you know Strickland esque sparring partner syndrome looks like as you go down and wait like it's just. Yeah. It doesn't, uh, survive. it doesn't, yeah, or it does survive, but it doesn't win. Yeah, it doesn't win. Like, that's the thing. Charles Johnson is, is quite difficult to beat, but he doesn't really know how to win. Yeah. Reminds me of, like, of, uh, remember Terry and Ware? Yes, yes. He was one of our dudes where, uh, it was just like, man, I watch you. It's like, all, you have all of these skills that you have honed through so much gym work 
And it's just not, I mean, part of it was athletic limitations for him as well. Yeah. But it's also just not, like, built to win a lot of fight, a lot of high-level fights. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you're just going to be fighting from from behind. You're there to compete, or you're there to show up and, like, have answers but not ask questions. Yeah. Which is also, you know, what I ascribe to being like the MMA master's style. Yes. Yeah. Tends to train that. And I think that is a gym too, that predicates itself on doing a lot of hard sparring. Mm -hmm. And then Azad Maxim is, uh, he just is fundamentally a more effective fighter, a more effective round winner than Charles Johnson, because you can see, I mean, he, he had that fight with a, a really very keyed in uh, Tyson M. Yeah. Um, very, very close. And, uh, you know, had to eat a lot of shots, had to uh, survive a couple of hairy moments. But you can see in that fight something that, like, Charles Johnson will never demonstrate, which is that, like, <clears throat> when he gets Tyson M to react to something, when he gets him to bite in a feint or take a step back, you can see Azad Maksum gets excited. Yeah. He can feel the momentum shifting in his favor, and it makes him want to do more stuff to, to put a to put more of a stamp on the fight. It's honestly like I, I you know, it's I was saying a lot of these fighters from these former Soviet states, I think I mean they they just get they get started training in martial arts. For full contact fighting earlier, mm-hmm. and they get keyed in on a lot of the t- technique for fighting earlier, so that they just are more like, like their game might end up being more limited in scope than a fighter who jumps into MMA gyms in the U S and just sort of starts learning everything. Mm -hmm. But they are also just much more like they know what success feels like in the kind of fight they want to have. And that, that counts for a lot, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. He's a, he's a very uh, determined, hard nosed fighter who has um, a pretty rich, understanding of his like preferred skill set guy's got a good jab he moves his feet pretty well uh you know he can he can slip and counter in a variety of different ways and um is not like completely deterred like he he doesn't run recklessly into the same shit over and over like adrikas would because very few fighters do but he will continue trying to find ways to break through and get the momentum back in his favor you can just tell he just loves having the initiative Mm mm-hmm and um and has a pretty um a, a pretty flexible skill set for for getting back into uh a, yeah. a, a, an initiative position yeah you know? Sol- a- very solid fly i was i was happy to re- yeah. rediscover him on this card and be like oh yeah yeah i forgot who this guy was as well yeah i was like oh yeah that was that fight with tyson m where like i narrowly uh, picked them, and then I was just very pleased that like, both guys looked really great, and it was yeah, super competitive, fairly like high level kind of fight. 
yeah, he's just he's just fundamentally a much better round winner, fight winner, momentum builder than Charles yep. Johnson, who is like yeah, the antithesis I mean, of all those things. You want to talk like you know you're sparring for for better and worse sparring partner, young veteran took the long road fighter who just did it so much that they finally figured out how to win at a high level. Tyson Nam is like, he is that dude down to the floor. Yeah. Well, Tyson Nam is, has something that Charles Johnson doesn't, which is fight ending power. Yeah. That, that helps the fight ending power. But it's also just like, he has the fight ending power, which helped a lot. And just, I mean, he rode through hell for forever. That, that path, can make really great it makes fighters we love to talk about yeah absolutely because it is such a like it's a, such a battle test and it's and it always it always spits out something odd about mm-hmm. a fighter it always it always creates something a wrinkle that shouldn't be there mm-hmm. whenever a fighter goes through that process so it always makes really when a fighter can do that to the point that they can become a pretty high level competitor it always makes them a very unique high-level competitor. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things like we really enjoy about Chris Curtis, too, in that way. Where it's like, he has clearly, you know, built this reactive defensive style through years and years of sparring. Mm-hmm. That when he gets his kind of fight that he likes to have, it's really fun and slick. But somebody doesn't, he's still a guy who he doesn't give, you know, somebody doesn't give him that fight. And he has to have like a little mini meltdown mm-hmm. before he could even like kind of get himself into the fight. So it's it, it it's always interesting, but unfortunately for Johnson, yeah, on, at flyweight, it's always going to be incredibly difficult because it's hard to have knockout power at flyweight. Tyson Nam is a true rarity in that. Mm-hmm. And your opponents are often so athletic and so coordinated and oftentimes so technical. Even the, uh, flyweight, I will say, it belies technique a little bit because guys are so athletic, they often just don't have to learn to be that technical. Mm-hmm. But, so you, um, although half the UFC flyweight division now is like really weird, awkward, not. Yeah, that, they're picking up a lot of bantam, skinny bantam weights is what they Yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Guys who are like five foot eight and are like bulking to hit 125 pounds. And you're like, okay, this is, you know, I, I'm every time I see a Joshua van, I'm like, thank God. <laughs> they still <laughs> exist. Yeah. Real flyweights. Or an Osmot Maxim for that matter. Like, mm-hmm. well, although but, Maxim uh, himself is a pretty big flyweight. Yeah. But yeah, it, it it is a division where it's just very hard to survive as a guy who is scrapping his way to elite quality. Yeah, or guys just giving away initiative all the time, just yeah. bonding all the time and not actually asking any questions of his own. Yeah. Yeah, that, that shit is important. And it's especially important when all your opponents are like lightning quick and yeah. agile. And yeah, it's just... We like Charles Johnson, but he is dysfunctional as an actual, like, winner of fights. Yep. And it sucks, too, because you'll often have, like, a late round where it's just sure. like everything finally clicked for him in the fight. And you're like, yes, there it is. 
do it, do that a lot. And it's just, it it's so hard for him to get there. Mm-hmm. Johnson opened at plus 152, is currently up at plus 183. Maxim opened at minus 171, currently down at minus 207. Does he even have a nickname? Yeah. Okay, Kazakh. Maxim should really open you up for some, like, quality nickname opportunities as a name. Yeah. I really Maxim Magazine. (laughs) You know? 100 hottest babes of the year. That's right. Hot. Azat Hot 100 Maxim. That'll be good. It would be actually. If I were if I were training with him in the gym, I would call him Hot 100 all the time, and he would not get it. And <laughs> <laughs> and I would probably get beat up because <laughs> you get beat up by a five foot five man, yes. just thrash you. Yeah. Yes. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Themba Garimbo, Pete Rodriguez. Man, if we want to talk about the UFC drag, <sighs> just to fill cards. Yep, Themba Garimbo's back, folks. Yeah. He's back for more. Um, I don't want to be um, um, culturally insensitive, but it is there is an undeniable quality to the name Themba Garimbo, which makes me laugh when I see him come up on a card. It, you know? is, it is a very uh, I'm sure that's the Steve Johnson of Zimbabwe or whatever, but yeah. it, just it's knowing very... what his style looks like, what an absolute fucking cockamamie mess his fighting game is. Then I just just something about that, and then seeing the name Themba Garimbo feels like a perfect fit. It's it's very much like you know the British equivalent is like Edward Woodward. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, you're gonna see a guy who does lots of jabs and has no defense. That's Edward Woodward. Yeah, yeah. Famous actor, but you know. Yeah, of course. Pretty funny uh, name though. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was it was a classic. Uh, what was it Stephen? It was a QI Stephen Fry bit of talking about somebody. Somebody once famously described Edward Woodward, the name Edward Woodward, as sounding like a fart in the bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there is a something of a fart in the bath quality to Themba Garimbo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry, buddy. Um, it is just a fun name to say. Yeah. Uh, all of that being said, enough about Themba Garimbo. I kind of like, I kind of like Pete Rodriguez. Um, he's very, very limited. He's Mike Perry. He, he's he's very Mike Perry. I think he's got some slightly cooler ideas than Mike Perry. Would not be hard. Uh, like it seems pretty clear to me that Pete Rodriguez is a converted southpaw. Mm-hmm. Because he is all right hands. Yeah. Um, And his right hand is pretty good. He's got a good southpaw jab, and he loves to do, like, body head uh, lead hooks Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And he's he's fairly sharp with it. 
Yeah. Um, but there's not much else to his game. No, I mean, Pete Rodriguez is the kind of fighter where I feel like he probably got into MMA. Uh, I, I actually, I, 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 yeah, I wonder if he got into MMA in a useful way. Like he seems like the kind of guy who probably got into it as a way to keep out of trouble and got into a, like, maybe, you know, like some really bargain basement local gym. Yeah. And because he got, he's been doing it for a while. He didn't turn pro until just recently, but he started out as an amateur and had a pretty long ram- amateur career uh, in in Arizona. So he could have started with, he could have started with the MMA lab. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems like, you know, he's got a pretty, he's the kind of fighter that you would really like to have seen be brought along slowly with a lot of good coaching because it seems like he's a pretty natural athlete who has a mm-hmm. lot of natural feel for fighting. And that's kind of why I say like Mike Perry. Yeah. Yeah. He can really like step into his range with confidence and, just nail somebody with a well-placed shot. Uh, yeah. He has an idea of how to put his punches together. He has some idea of how to maintain the proper distance and how to close distance when he needs to. Like there, there's a feel yeah. that you Pete know, like, Rodriguez has. It was really notable to me where like you watch Mike Jackson versus Dean Barry. Mm-hmm. And Dean Barry is like a prototypical this guy is not very athletic and he's very poorly trained in a very highly athletic style. A fighter mm-hmm. where he's trying to do this like power, you know, almost he's trying to do a um, Michael Venom page sort of power kickboxing style, style flash kickboxing style without any of the grounding for it. And Dean Barry is out there and he's kind of lighting Mike Jackson up. Kind of. Because Mike Jackson can't really fight at all. Mm -hmm. But it's really awkwardly competitive, too. Because Dean Barry is not a naturally good fighter. Yeah. He is a guy. He is a naturally mediocre athlete trying on a naturally poor style that he's naturally not well trained for. And then you watch Pete Rodriguez against Mike Jackson. And Pete Rodriguez just goes out and fucking stuffs him in a locker. Yep. Does just not think him. twice about it. This, this is like, you know, sacking a city. These are these are the these are the Mongol hordes coming down on the little <laughs> village in the in, in, out on the steps. Mm-hmm. It is just brutality. It is what a good natural fighter should be doing to somebody who's a bad athlete who can't fight. Yep. And just crushed him. Yeah. And that's great. Like that is to me, that's the kind of ton of promise that you want to see out of somebody. But I also just wonder if at 
27 with a game that is still so limited. Yeah. How much can he build on that? Because, like, it is right. This fight is right there for Pete Rodriguez to womp Themba Garimbo mm-hmm. as well. Just yeah. This is this is, however, I'll ab connection. This is not an unfamiliar path for John Crouch's fighters to take. Yeah, Marcus McGee. Yeah. Also had a pretty lengthy amateur career. Yeah. And also looked like sort of a, a pretty limited, if like powerful and and naturally gifted fighter until six, five or six fights ago. You less than that. I would say like three or four fights ago, maybe. Yeah, like really just like the last couple before getting to the UFC, it looked like, oh, Marcus McGee is going to be something like he has put it yeah. together. Pretty late in his life, you know, as yeah. well. Um, so who knows? I mean, uh, I, I think I, I would just not put it past John Crouch to have been like embedding a lot of really essential skills and training yeah. in this guy who is not necessarily like leveraging them to win his fights. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if if Thimba Garimbo goes out there and just like splashes into him and tries to flop all over him. And we're like, oh, shit, Pete Rodriguez, like, is a great scrambler. Oh, oh shit, yeah. Pete Rodriguez just, like, crushes takedown attempts and gets yeah. back to his game. Um, I just also wouldn't be surprised if Themba Garimbo goes in there, uh, yeah, yeah. clings to him, drags him to the mat through hell or high water yeah, somehow. Just sort of goes, ah, and just kind of, yeah, makes it yeah. a miserable experience for both of them. Yeah, and just grinds his way to a win the most like or just gets a rear naked choke because Pete Rodriguez is just out there being like, I just want to punch you and I hate everything else. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Yep. We'll see. I get the we'll feeling see. I get the feeling they probably do some pretty hard chucking and sparring at the MMA lab just based on the kind of fighters yeah. they churn out. Uh they tend to be crafty, tough, determined. Uh and all of them like really quite good takedown defenders and scramblers. Yeah. So I'm going to take an optimistic pick for Pete Rodriguez on the basis that he appears to have some potential. And Thimba Grimbo, I think, is he's Thimba Grimbo. Um, yeah. yeah, he's just he's just like aggressive slop. Yeah, no, he's he's a fighter who has. Learned MMA purely through a really bad MMA gym and learned it that way forever. Yeah. And so his idea of MMA is just like, oh, this is a, this is a combat sport where having takedowns can win. Mm -hmm. And so he went out there on a re you know, we see this all the time where, fighters will be the only guy on a bad regional scene that wrestles Mm -hmm. and they won't be good wrestlers. They're just the only one, you know, you get guys coming from kickboxing or local boxing gyms that are also doing some like, Oh yeah, well we need, we want people to get fights and make money. So we're doing a little MMA training as well. Or they're, you know, they they have jujitsu gyms, whatever. And then there'll be like one MMA gym in that city or in that area. 
and they're the only place where like anybody is training any wrestling at all. And Themba Garimbo looks like that guy. Mm-hmm. He looks like a guy who just he knew he figured out oh wrestle, and he goes out there and he just chucks himself into people. And wrestles like his life depends on it. And he's not a good wrestler, but he is absolutely fearless and tireless with it. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I... I'll go with you. I'll I'll pick Pete Rodriguez on the potential. Because the potential is there. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's just a little shade of his fight with uh, Jack Della Maddalena. There's a little shade of like, um, oh, why am I blanking? What's, uh, starts with a J, big, gigantic, tall welterweight. Big puncher, fought Vicente Luque in his debut. That's the fight oh, I'm trying Jim to reference. Turner. Yeah, yeah there's actually a little lightweight. But lightweight, yes. sorry. There's, there's just a little bit of that where it's like, it looks like Pete Rodriguez, he just gets stomped and like, he does. You, you, yeah. He gets clocked. He gets hurt. He gets his face busted up. At the same time, as short as it is, he is kind of hanging in there with Jack Della Maddalena and getting his own licks in. Yeah. Um, and not looking like broken or discouraged no. by the fact that he's in there against this massive puncher with way more experience. Yeah. Like I, I mean, like I say, I I feel like the Mike Perry thing is to me pretty like. Mike Perry ended up in a lot of weird places over the course of his MMA career. Yeah. But I mean, you kind of have to look at him now, like really thriving in bare knuckle. Yeah. Because when Mike Perry first came to MMA, when he first came to the UFC, it was very clear like, Oh, this guy is a great athlete and has a great natural feel for fighting. Yeah. He just doesn't have a lot of tools. And Pete Rodriguez feels like that to me. It's like, oh, yeah. you've got the you've got a great feel and comfort for all this. You just don't have a lot of tools you're working with. Yeah. And, you know, the Mike Jackson fight to me is a great signifier of that where it's like, oh, yeah, you have an infinitely better feel for how to do this than some do, some random dude. Yeah. Who has also, you know, put in the same amount of time that you have. Yeah, it can be helpful to see somebody painting on just a totally blank canvas like that. I often like I I think there's no better way to get a good look at what a fighter wants to be than seeing them in a fight against a fighter who cannot compete with them. A total squash match. Yeah. Yeah. Like you want to see technically. I mean, to me, I think like the fights that Pete Rodriguez has had are probably like some of the best scouting you can get from a fighter. Yeah. Just to see them Here's him getting being totally overmatched yeah. and him totally overmatching somebody. Yeah. Cause then you get to see like, okay, well, what are they, what are they trying to do when they can't compete? And what are they trying to do when they really can? Cause so often when you get fighters where it's like, Oh, these two guys are about as good as each other. Mm-hmm. They end up just sort of me- melding into the, the sort of, chaos right that's created out of being competitive it's like oh well we can both kind of land with equal success so i'm going to try some wrestling right and i can kind of get it but you're also fighting back on it so i'm not whereas if you see somebody where it's like oh i every time i try to take you down you fall over you get to see exactly like okay well how is it they're trying to pass 
How mm-hmm. is it that they're trying to, you know, what takedowns do they like to shoot? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, where, you know, and the kind of big reads where then you can say like, oh, well, this person can stuff these takedowns all the time. So the fact that this guy always defaults to shooting a single leg and his opponent always stuffs single legs, that's actually a big problem for this next mm-hmm. fight. Mm-hmm. So... I I will I will stick with the Pete Rodriguez here, but I, I am definitely like I came in ready to pick Emba Garimbo <laughs> just because I do really worry how well he's going to hang with somebody that's just coming in to, to absolutely do a cut rate Darren Elkins impression. Yeah, just make the fight as miserable to watch as it is to uh, to experience, I'm sure. Odds on the fight. Rodriguez is the underdog, opened at plus 243, is currently at plus 217. Themba Garimba opened at minus 286, is currently at minus 250. All right. That gives us a featherweight fight. Blake Builder, Zhang Young Lee, and this is just like... Zhang <laughs> Young Lee, I would like to see Zhang Young Lee improve. He is a he is a blank slate. Learning yeah. like so many raw Korean fighters seem to and he's been doing this forever, which is really weird. Like he started his amateur career a decade ago and turned pro in 2014. But like so many Korean fighters he just seems to have taken nothing away from his career other than be powerful. Yeah. I wonder, did he have his military service uh, prior to to the road to UFC thing? Could be. Could be. Uh, there's, like a, there's like a two and a half a to three year, year gap, gap there. There's also a two year gap from his first fight to his first pro fight to his next pro yeah. fight. So it could have been there. But. So and that would have been ten years ago, making him eighteen at the time. Yeah. So that seems like a more likely time he would have done the military service. But I don't know. Either way, he is clearly a physical talent who just is like out there to brawl and None, nothing else seems to have taken. You know, there's some takedown stuffing when he gets his back against the cage. There's some fun, flashy techniques when he has all the time and space to do whatever he wants. But he got mashed against the cage. He nearly lost a, a split decision to a guy whose entire game was. I am smaller and weaker than you, but I am just going to press you against the cage. Mm-hmm. That's not good. That shouldn't be happening. No. It shouldn't be happening after 10 years of MMA. You know? It just shouldn't. So for Blake Builder, this is just like... 
do you want to be a good fighter or do you want to be the guy, the guy who ruled your local scene and could go to the strip club and like get free mm-hmm. lap dances? <laughs> because he has that aura about as strong as anyone I've ever seen mm-hmm. of a dude who just like loved being cage fury fighting championship champ. Mm-hmm. He's about eight years removed from thinking that the the one stripper who still gives him free lap dances is actually in love with him. Yeah. And it's just you're like, okay, you're a great athlete. You are a strong wrestler. You punch hard. You are not a natural kickboxer. Uh-huh. You don't have a feel for it. But his UFC career has been highlighted so far in two fights by him going out and feeling like he can just intimidate people and they will stop fighting him. Mm -hmm. And Kyle Nelson, a guy who used to just fall apart and has really found himself Mm-hmm. Late in his career, just didn't. Heard of uh, jabs and low kicks, Mr. Builder? Yeah. It was just like, what if I just am not, don't fall apart and just stick to doing some stuff? And Builder just collapsed. Yep. And even Shane Young stuck around in that fight and had success when he could find it and climb out of his own confidence hole. Mm hmm as a fighter who very much gets in his own head and just resigns himself to losing. Yeah. There was very much a feeling of arrogance to a uh, builder's loss to Nelson. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to like write the book on the guy or say that that is necessarily damning because like, like say he had done his research on Kyle Nelson, sure. probably probably didn't anyway, but say he had, you know, you could understand a guy coming into that fight a little arrogant. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to, this is going to be like a hard fight. We're going to have fun and I'm still going to be there. And yep. this guy's going to fall apart. He's going to get tired. He's going to mm-hmm. uh, become cowed by the difficulty of the fight. And so, yeah, you, you can forgive that as possibly just a rude awakening, a learning experience. But now this is a fight where it's like, we're, we're really going to find out if he's added anything as a result yeah. of that loss. Yeah, because uh, this is this is like you are just fighting a guy who's who has been thriving on his physicality and yeah. no no sort of form or plan or whatever. You yeah. have all the skill advantages that you need here. You just have to go out and fight like you want to win, not like you expect to win. Yeah, but if Builder wants, he could have a very tough fight with. Yeah. Uh, with Jung Young Lee. You, yeah. Jingling Lee seems like he's athletic enough to hang out, hang around and to he, you know, he's been a finisher in the past. He can do damage. Like he just doesn't, you know, he's just formless. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this to me just feels like a shit, shit or get off the pot fight for builder where it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, you've got an opponent you can beat here, but your two fights in the UFC so far have looked like, you coasting against fighters that you just expect to go away. Mm-hmm. But Builder really, really should win. He should. 
Absolutely. Yeah, this is all to say, like, I'm picking Builder. Same. These are fights he should win. It just, he has the vibe of, like, of a guy who loved being, you know, CFFC champ. The Tachi, mm-hmm. people don't remember the Tachi kid. Mm. Um, Poppy's Martinez. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Poppy's Martinez was like, you know, he was nobody special at the top level at all. 29-11 over his career. Mm -hmm. Fought for Bellator a few times. Lost most every time he fought for Bellator. But was like, you know, the king at tachi palace and he built a whole long career between the wec when they were tachi palace uh early on and then tachi fighting championships that they ran for a a long time and gladiator challenge and all that and was just like i remember jordan breen telling me stories about him Mm-hmm. And just like having a huge entourage that he would walk around with and all that. <laughs> and it was just, you know, that's that's what he that that was his kingdom. And some for some fighters, that's what they, you know, they the big fish in a small pond is where they are most comfortable. Yeah. And I don't know that that's Blake Builder, but right now. In the UFC, it just feels a little bit like Blake. The distinct possibility still. Yeah, he he's a much better athlete than Poppy's Martinez. So absolutely, he could yeah. accidentally just make it further. But uh, you know, Roger Huerta style, perhaps. But he, um, yeah, it's basically a, a, to me like the, a fight like this, and a, and a few fights from now going forward for a little while, I will be wondering about Blake Builder, Builder whether he his ego can suffer there's a distinct anthony uh or, or, or distinct um yeah anthony hernandez possibility yeah. in yeah. his future you know yeah. where you're like wow you should be or not anthony hernandez but um alexander alexander hernandez I was going to say, fluffy's been doing good no fluffy's been doing it and alexander hernandez potential in his future where like yeah. that dude is prob was pro- was probably really best off being the biggest fish in a small pond. Yeah, I think Alexander may have actually finally turned a corner a bit and kind of synthesized everything, but it was a super super miserable process. Yeah, uh, where for yeah. a dude who you look at him with the tools he had and the athleticism he had when he got to the UFC, and you'd just be like, oh, of course you're going to be a contender someday. Right. And Builder feels like that kind of dude where you look at him and the base tools he has at his disposal. And you're like, yeah, of course he could be a contender. Yeah. But it will require some serious uh, humbling and yeah. re- refiguring of uh, of uh, priorities and reworking whole skill sets. Yeah. And at 33, clock's ticking mm. on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, odds on the fight. This fight. Blake Builder. 
Oh, he's the underdog right now. Opened at minus 105. He's currently at plus 126. Jung Young Lee opened at minus 105. He's currently at minus 140. I, I do not understand that at all. No. Like, I get that Kyle Nelson, that was Kyle Nelson's first win in three fights. And he's one of, you know, first, one of a few, only a few wins at the UFC level. One of only yeah, now but, three. But then he, he went on to, to do the exact same damn thing and win his next fight. It's just, yeah. I think if and you look Kyle at those Nelson's two together, dude. you're you're like, Nelson has figured out a way to win. Yeah, and Nelson's always a dude, too, where if you go back all through his career and you watch him in the first rounds of fights, you'd be like, oh, oh wow. This yeah. dude is actually like a seriously solid puncher and a really good scrambling wrestler. The problem has never been that he doesn't have the right skills or physicality. It's no. been, it's been uh, a mental psychological. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. So him figuring it out and competing and winning that fight, like that doesn't, you know, that there there's a problem there for Blake Builder, but it's also that Kyle Nelson is actually pretty good. And yes. I have a lot more doubts about Jung Young Lee coming through road to UFC 100%. and getting to the end with Yi Jia, a five foot seven, pretty un pretty underwhelming looking featherweight, but who a guy who does wrestling and just looking like he hit a wall mm -hmm. where it was just like I don't have an effective game to deal with this. Yeah. No, the the winning game plan is it really should just be a very small step away for Blake Builder here. Yeah. Even if he doesn't fight correctly. Yeah. He's so clearly a great athlete. Like if he doesn't fight correctly, he's probably resigning himself to a very 50-50 fight. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't get the odds at all. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout, Julia Stolyarenko. Luana Carolina and um and um yeah <laughs> that's it all right what's our next fight <laughs> <laughs> what we said and um that sums it up I think we gotta we gotta split the hairs Connor uh-huh uh well Julia Stoyarenko is, of course, a star in the making. She defeated Molly McCann. Yep, yep. One of the most popular women's MMA fighters. And uh, that's it. She's going to be a champion now, because that's, you know, you got to be good to be Molly McCann, right? Right. <laughs> you got to be good. You don't just have to sort of imagine yourself wrestling her and then wake up to realize you've won. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, is Stoyarenko gonna get gonna take uh, Carolina down? That's really the only question. She'll try, and I assume succeed at least once. Stoyarenko almost always succeeds at getting the fight to the ground one time. Yeah. Um, it does not always. However, the Molly McCann fight might convince you. It does not always lead to an instant win. No. Uh. Because she is, uh, I mean, I'll say this for her. She was fairly positionally conscious in the short time she was on the ground with Molly McCann. You know? Yep. I think largely that was down to Molly McCann having just no idea what to do on the ground. 
and pretty much just repeatedly panicking herself into worse and worse positions. Yeah. Um, but that kind of describes Lana Carolina. Uh, true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, although at least like Carolina will like get to top position on people and hold it and like lo- try to lock things down. McCann just she really just like instantly gave up her back and then like rolled around like a fish. Uh, I mean, Stolyarenko like took the back and like instantly crossed her feet. She didn't even have the hooks in. And, but like McCann didn't do anything to attack the position uh, or, or improve. I think I honestly think Carolina is a better grappler than Molly McCann. Um, and uh, also, I think actually harder to take down. She's bigger. So, she's bigger. That helps. That helps a lot. Uh, just much longer levers, much harder to get leverage on her. Um, especially if you're Julius Folyarenko and like you're as likely to go for some bullshit low single or like head and arm throw as you are any effective takedown. Mm-hmm. You know, to her credit, I mean, she timed the shot she hit Molly McCann with pretty well. No, yeah, she Ju, Julia Stolyarenko, uh Like I said, that first, she almost always gets people down once. She's got a like a really surprising opening gambit pretty much always and so fighters are almost always surprised by it one time yeah and it also means that she pretty much only wins very very early in the fight yeah after that the gambit she's kind of played her card and everybody starts to just yeah uh key in on exactly what it is she's doing and it stops working yeah and and many of the losses as i said are also fights where she does get an early takedown it just doesn't lead to a finish and then she that's it yep so i think i'm actually going to take luana carolina here uh you know a huge gamble that she doesn't just get instantly submitted she probably will get very quickly taken down can we talk, though, about how great her uh, tapology photo is? Let me take a look. I've, I, I, I've kind of only skimmed by it three or four times and didn't really take a good look at it. She's doing the Pixar face? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, the wise-ass fox sidekick character face? Exactly. She's really got it nailed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a sassy, a sassy facial expression. Especially with the arms crossed. Oh, yeah. Eyebrow raised, the arms crossed. I feel suitably cowed, like I was just caught doing something wrong. But in a lovable way. There's there's a Pixarness to it. It's yeah. You feel cowed. I feel like I'm definitely not invited to her treehouse. Yeah. You know. (laughs) (laughs) This is our playground. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No, I'm just gonna pick her because Stolyarenko is a um the grappling equivalent of a glass cannon. Yeah. She's got one shot trick pony. Yeah. She's like a catapult. That's like so powerful that like when you throw one projectile, it just destroys itself. Like all the joints come loose. It rattles itself to pieces. Um, that, that is still 50% of the time it works. Carolina is certainly not a good enough fighter that it has no chance of working, but, uh, she is, you know, like, surprisingly mentally durable 
She is shockingly mentally durable. She she will just go in there and just have an ugly fight for 15 minutes straight. She she if she were uh a better athlete compared yeah. to her peers, she would probably be the uh women's flyweight or is it bantamweight now no women's flyweight Drikus Duplessis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're just like, okay, this shouldn't... Oh, my God. How are you having this weirdly competitive fight? Yeah. Like, the fact that she beat Lupita Godinez is still just mm-hmm. wild. Yeah. you she, she has proven time and again, you can put a lot of pressure on her. You can get, in, get her into a lot of ugly scrambles and exchanges. And um, she's, she's just not very breakable. No. She's pretty scrappy, so I'll pick her. I am. Get, I'll stick with Stolia. I'll pick Stolyarenko for the hell of it, just sure. on the like, you know, the pure one trick. Sure. This one weird trick beats most UFC flyweights, kind of thing. Yeah, except it doesn't beat most of them. It. No, no, no. I know. <laughs> Look, these these ads are never functional. Let's let's see. It beats so far two of six. Yeah. UFC flyweights, one of which was an absolutely shot to shit Jessica Rose Clark. Yep. The other of which was a phenomenally one dimensional and probably super overconfident Molly McCann. Yep. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the flyer. Sure. But yeah, if Carolina just shucks off the arm bar, because I think she will get caught in one. Absolutely, yes. And if she just pulls out of it and shucks it, then she'll just start beating Stolyarenko. And once Stolyarenko starts getting beat, yeah, there's no recoverability. Imminent she, collapse. It, this is, if you want to know what Jillian Robertson is working past, mm-hmm. this is it. Like. This is the this is the game that Robertson is up the continuum from mm-hmm. of somebody who has no ability to strike comfortably at all, but has a aggressive sub hunting grappling game. Yeah. Robertson right. at least Robertson at least will keep doing it intensely <laughs> for several rounds. Well, and she has some real dedicated wrestling technique and more 100%. than one submission she likes to hit. Yeah. And has actually learned enough boxing to hang in there for a full round and kind of make it work. She has to actually get hurt. She has to get hurt regularly to just really quit on it now. Yeah. So Yurenko, Every time she gets hit standing, she has that sort of thing where she like l- is looking, looks down and is frozen for a moment. And you're uh-huh. like, are you going to fall over and get knocked out? Oh, it literally is only arm bars. Yes. For Stolyarenko, isn't it? Literally only arm bars. She has a win by doctor stoppage via broken nose. I wonder how the hell that happened and how bad her opponent must have been. Yeah. Uh... Oh, that wait, that was in Lethway. Julia Stoyarenko fought Lethway. It was probably headbutts then. Probably. That is such a stupid thing to imagine. I can't. I can't even picture how terrible that must have looked. And then she has a split decision win. 
a couple where the result isn't listed on Tapology, pretty much every win in her entire career is a first round armbar, usually in the first minute. Yep. That's what you call a glass cannon, folks. Yeah. And like I say, she gets everybody down and she gets them in that arm bar. Uh-huh. It is the gambit. She it is a shocking gambit early on because she is mm-hmm. so practiced with it. But it's it's all or nothing. I'll bet on the gambit for the fuck of it. Sure. Stolyarenko is favored here, which is hilarious. Uh, this is not a fight that should have odds or favorites. Opened at plus 104, is currently at minus one, or dropped to minus 105, is currently at minus 132. Carolina opened at minus 115, is currently at plus 119. Stolyarenko, uh, by armbar, let's see. Let's see. Uh, no, not that. Stolyarenko. Let me get the other odds here. There we go. Stolyarenko by submission. It's plus 130 on the only book offering it. Or no, plus 130 plus 205. So... You can get Stolyarenko a plus odds by submission. At you should totally do that. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. See, do we have Carolina wins by TKO KO is plus five fifty or plus six fifty? You should, yeah, bet the house, folks. Bet on this fight. Yes, bet on this fight. I'm glad that Zane is reading the odds to you. It's not. It's giving you good ideas. Very good at best ideas. Take this time to remind folks at home this show is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> we Connor, are not neither Connor Rebusha nor I gamble with any frequency or reliability. None of our advice is meant to be taken, or none of our our words are meant to be taken as advice. Mm-hmm. And uh, we re- we accept no responsibility whatsoever for any losses that may be incurred by betting on our fight picks although we do require a 20 percent commission for any and all money won by our fight picks that's you know that's only fair yeah all right markel madeiros landon canones and um these guys are both all right yeah they're they're all right, and uh, they both could use more seasoning, but they are at a very similar place of all rightness. Um, as lightweights, I mean, I think it's it sucks because as Landon Canonis already found out, divisions like lightweight are very difficult divisions to learn depth to your game. Mm-hmm. He actually. Beat Nazarat Hakparost into beating him. <laughs> a tragic, tragic display of uh, MMA, just MMA brain thinking in that fight. 
where he tuned Nasrat Hakparast up out of Hakparast's left-hand stance with a busy kickboxing game predicated on light combinations and hard low kicks. Mm-hmm. And Hakparast, out of absolute desperation, turned to a orthodox stance, at which point, despite being deeply uncomfortable... He actually had to match Kinonis's light combinations with light combinations of his own and work a jab and work the jab in combination without putting full power behind everything. Mm-hmm. And the moment he did that, he found that Kinonis often freezes and doesn't exactly know what to do in the pocket when he's throwing these combinations without a lot of power behind them. Yeah. If only there'd been some clue along the way for Nazar Hakbaras that like perhaps keying down the power a bit and throwing more volume would be effective. Can't think of what it might've been. Would would make the fights easier. It's just one fight in in his UFC career where he could have, that lesson could have been shown to him. Nah, I can't think of one. Mm Mm-mm. No, I, I can't think at all. <laughs> um, and so on. Markel Medeiros, I'm not actually sure. Tapology. His name is generally listed as just Markel Medeiros, M-A-R-K-U-E-L. Uh-huh. But Tapology, when you click through to his profile, it is listed oh. as Markel Medeiros. And spelled that way, I'm more inclined to pronounce it Markwell. Mar Marquell, yeah, Medeiros, where it is a capital Q in the middle. That's way cooler, I gotta say. Way cooler. It sounds like a title of some like sci-fi space empire. Yeah. The Marquell of Hain Davenant is here to see you, Your Majesty. It sounds like something from like Foundation. Yeah. And Markel is a Factory X dude. And he is learning, I think, a 2.0 version of the Factory X style we've seen out of uh, Jonathan Martinez and um, mm-hmm. what's his name? Uh, Chris Gutierrez. Chris Gutierrez. He is coming out. He has a and I don't even know the 2.0 is better or will serve him better. I just think it's a it looks to me like the gym trying to advance the form or the fighter themselves trying to advance the form. Yeah, it's it's yet to be seen if the new patch will introduce us a whole series of new bugs. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But he has a style where it is constant stance switching. Into hard low kicks and a slip-and-rip boxing game to go with it, where he is constantly looking to change speed and tempo with his hands and to lead exchanges with light punches and then slip-and-return fire. And if you go back to his fight, it, it looked pretty good. looked really good in that fight against... Isa Isakov, mm-hmm. a very one-note power wrestle boxer who just very clearly was used to one kind of stand-up striking and did not have the tools to deal with any nuance at all. Mm-hmm. 
but you can go back seven fights to that fight with Santiago Guzman. You might be like, oh, that was forever. That's just a couple of years ago. He fought a lot mm -hmm. in the intervening time. To that loss to Santiago Guzman, and you will find a fight where Medeiros just got caught a lot shifting in the pocket and hit really hard because he's doing a lot of busy nonsense and it requires a lot of uh, process to make his style work. There's mm -hmm. a, it requires a lot of practice. It requires a lot of form. It is a very difficult, complicated style that he is trying to make work here because it requires constant shifts and feints and slips and just... You know, it's very Tony Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And, hey, you know, there were some great highlights for Tony Ferguson at the top of his career. Sure. But we also, also are seeing all the downsides. And we saw a lot of the downsides on the way, too, where it was just, like, so predicated on his durability. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to shake out. Cause, I mean, I mean, even in the fight with Isakov, he ended up getting caught quite a bit. Yeah. Just trying to extend a combination too far or coming in with a strike that was maybe a little too obvious. Um, guessing wrong, like being in really yeah. close range and guessing wrong on a, on a defensive call, like trying to stuff a takedown and getting clipped over the top. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a style that puts a very, very heavy tax on either your defensive skill or your durability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so far he looks durable enough to make it work, as yeah. uh, as did Tony Ferguson, to your point, back in the day. He got knocked out once really early in his career. Yeah, that'll in, happen. In uh, As an amateur. But who even knows? Like, amateur MMA, too, like... Maybe he got dropped and ate a couple punches, and the ref just was like, okay, that's it. They are way quicker on the trigger trying to save fighters in a lot of most amateur shows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, as, they should, as they should be. Yeah, and who knows? This is also a game that can, I think, be reasonably improved a lot over time with more practice and form. I mean, Tony Ferguson at his height, his form was clicking. Mm-hmm. It worked really well, you know? Mm -hmm. So it is something that if you can practice and perfect it, you can make it really fit together really well at its height. Just it also might have a really hard fall. Yeah. I. This is a tough fight to call. It's a tough fight to call because, yeah, it might be that Medeiros can offer Quinones a lot of the kind of nuance that. Hawk Perost was because Hawk Perost on his wrong foot, it was not sharp combination punching that he was bringing to Canones. Yeah, it was just it, a lot of stuff. <laughs> it was just awkward. It was awkward, but it was just it was Hawk Perost being forced to actually have to think about more than just throwing his left hand. Mm -hmm. So it could be that Medeiros, that kind of level of depth, will just be enough to throw Canones off of a game that is. 
pretty rudimentary itself. Or it could be that Kanona is just being able to be tough and, you know, offer enough reasonable, uh, offer more depth than somebody like Isakov could will be enough like Santiago Guzman was mm-hmm. to put to push Markel Medeiros into a lot of tough exchanges. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say my, my feeling is that um, being that these are two, um, you know, still relatively inexperienced fighters, young in their careers, still sort of gaining the experience that will decide what they look like as finished products. I am uh, I'm inclined to take the guy who is more fundamentally aggressive. Yeah. And um, that is not Landon Quinones. No. I think what Quinones wants to have a pretty fight. Yeah. Um, he want, he likes to pot shot. Uh, he likes to touch his opponent and then line them up for maybe one serious hard shot at the very end of the combination. And in between that, he does a lot of moving around, good amount of fainting, good amount of kicking. That These are all good things. But you can see that he doesn't want to have close exchanges with people. Yeah. And when he is forced to make a defensive call, uh, he will often put himself out of position so that if, as Hawkbreast did, you just continue to pile on, he doesn't deal with it well. Yeah. Um, as long as he's clicking and the opponent is sort of, he can lead them around by the nose and keep touching them. He can look really, really slick, but when the defense is tested, you see that there isn't really comfortable putting more layers on after it. Yep. Uh, he loses his ability to adjust once he is like forced into a defensive posture. And not only is that not true of Markel Medeiros, he just seems between the two of them, the far more likely guy to demand defensive reactions out of his opponent. Yeah. And I will say too, it's, you know, pretty notable of Medeiros that like early on that Guzman's fight started going poorly for him. And he got hurt and clipped in that fight Mm -hmm. a couple of times. And he still pulled a split decision out of it you know he he lost but it was a close loss he did not get deterred from fighting his fight by a lack of success early so yeah and i i have to say too like i think what we've seen from the factory x guys over time is that their tools tend to get sharper Mm -hmm. you know both chris gutierrez and uh, Jonathan Martinez have become sharper, better schooled fighters over time and more able to compete at a higher level. And, you know, Gutierrez might be more inher- less inherently likely to cross the bridge into being an elite talent because he is a more innately defensively minded fighter. Mm-hmm. But he's still become a better fighter. And Martinez has, you know, really sharpened up his tools a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like I trust the process that Medeiros is in the middle of right now more. And, yeah, I'll be interested to see how it works. I got to pick him, too. 
Yeah, I think, it, uh, it just he's just going to end up being whether he comes in wanting to or not, and he and he will anyway. I think. Yeah, he's he's going to end up trying to bully Quinones and. Yep. It, it, it will just, be fascinating to see that factory X style with somebody so inherently aggressive over time. Because mm-hmm. both Mart- Martinez started out as a very all the way out or all the way in fighter who either wanted to be way outside at long range kicking or clinching and getting a takedown and like bursting into a clinch where he could be safe, hated fighting in the pocket. Yeah. And Gutierrez has always been a back foot neutralizing. I want to take your tools away and make you frustrated fighter. Mm-hmm. Madero seen he's a pocket fighter. He is mm-hmm. a fighter that wants to be right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Trading and prolonging exchanges. It'll be interesting to see that style on that kind of fighter. You know, coupled with the dedication to really hard kicks and uh, just sort of tricky, crafty, uh, reactive strikes mm-hmm. that those guys have taken on. Boy, it is super funny watching this Hawk Brass Quinones fight that the first shot Hawk Brass actually manages to hurt Quinones with is a right hand. Yeah, <laughs> and he keeps switching back to the left hand throughout the bout whenever his leg is, is numb enough that he feels like he can put weight on it again and yeah. every time he goes back to the left hand he starts losing again yeah <laughs> anyway this is a pretty well matched fight I like it yeah it is it should be uh, instructive uh, provided that you are an insane person who cares about either of these fighters indeed Medeiros is the slight favorite, opened at minus 207, is currently at minus 133. Canonas opened at plus 183, is currently at plus 120. And that takes us finally to the very correctly put at the very bottom of the card for once heavyweight fight. Thomas Peterson, Jamal Pogues. Wait, I thought, isn't this the featured prelim? I thought I was looking at this card backwards. <laughs> this but is there's... the main event. They're God, so the heavy, even They're so heavy. They could, yeah, they could they could simply eat the featured prelim fighters. Exactly. So naturally, they should be the featured prelim. No, I got to say, um, first of all, Thomas Peterson also has a very funny tapology photo, but in a different way. Because yes, in his tapology photo, he looks borderline handsome. <laughs> and does, then you yeah. see see him in the cage. This is clearly taken from a time when he was not a heavyweight. Yeah. Then you see him in the cage as a heavyweight, and this man ate himself into this division. Yep. Uh, and I say good for him, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think it sort of comes through in the way he fights. He sort of fights like, um, much like Jake Cudlier, he sort of fights like a guy who wasn't brought up, just uh, who didn't gain the first elements of his skill set just by being big. Mm-hmm. He's like um, he like keeps over his feet pretty well. Well, he he's, he's a former, I believe, NAIA championship wrestler. That does not surprise me either. So he, uh, you know, he very much came up, you know, learning to wrestle as a small child. Yeah, and had one of two reactions to the uh, horrible weight cutting that wrestlers go through. Mm-hmm. either that prepares you for a lifetime of weight cutting in MMA or you say, fuck it, I'm never doing that again. And you get fat. Yep. Uh, I think it'll work okay for him. Cause like 
you know, the, the pudginess disguises the fact that he seems like a pretty good athlete by heavyweight yeah. standards. He's fast. He's strong. His level changes are very quick for a big guy. Um, and I kind of like the way he like works his way into position to wrestle people. He, he uses a jab. He's pretty comfortable, as I said, just staying over his feet and letting a guy throw at him. I, I found his contender series fight very funny because he's in there against another guy, uh, Chandler Cole, another guy who definitely ate himself up to heavyweight. Yeah. But Chandler Cole goes in there fighting with the sort of desperation of a true heavyweight where he's like, they get a couple of changes. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to knock this dude the fuck out. He's swinging huge punches. And you can see literally after maybe 45 seconds, three or four heated exchanges into the fight where he's missed almost all of his shots. There is a look of panic on Chandler Cole's face. He's already feeling like, Oh shit, this is not a pace I can maintain. Um, I sure hope this guy is more scared of me than I am of him. You can like see that change over overcoming his uh, overtaking his, 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 his sort of physical bearing mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't go well for him because Thomas Peterson is a wrestler. He's a heavyweight wrestler. He changes levels and grabs a single leg and it's, it's pretty well done. And basically, I see Jamal Pogues as just a much clumsier, more true heavyweight version of Thomas Peterson's game. Thomas Peterson looks like this guy who wants to do the same basic things as Jamal Pogues, but is far naturally better suited to it. Well, I mean, Jamal Pogues is out there trying to be like a fast-handed jabber. Yeah, he thinks he's jab and takedown man. Yeah, but he's and not. he doesn't have any actual actual wrestling to lean on exactly he doesn't yeah. have the physicality he doesn't have the wrestling skills and i would argue that uh whether it's because of boxing training or just the fact that he's a better athlete thomas peterson also looks like he's better at the jabby part of jamal pogues's game yeah i don't know that he's as naturally fast as pogues pogues strikes me as a guy like who would be a good athlete at 185 or Maybe, 205 yeah. pounds if he had chosen to be, if he, and, and actually probably, I think he started his career out at middleweight, in fact. Okay. He did. Boy, um, heavyweight is just a division when you, you abandon all discipline. Yeah. And he seems like he is now a guy who does not have the discipline to, uh, fight where he should be because he definitely started out as a middleweight. Um, and so, you know, the, the speed is there for him. He's got a faster jab than Tommy, Tommy Peterson. Peterson seems more to me like a guy who he, you know, maybe as his topology photo suggests, maybe he once was a smaller guy, certainly when he was in height or when he was, Wrestling in college, I found his profile. He was 197 pounds wrestling yeah. there, and a, and a probably a pretty lean, like 220-ish guy, you know. Yeah, but he also seems like he carries his weight much more naturally. Yeah, where it is now. Even then, even yeah. skinny Thomas Peterson was a bulky dude. Yeah, and at that point, like I got to go with the wrestler. Like you're gonna For go sure. out there 
be more, and especially because he's a single leg wrestler. For sure. Which is so much more a good, effective way to wrestle heavyweights than being a double leg guy. Yeah. I just don't, and it's something that I doubt Pogues is going to be prepared for to defend. Definitely not. Singles and trips and all kinds of takedowns that really yeah. uh, test your ability to be big and clumsy and somehow keep your balance. Yep. So. All right. Odds on the fight. Peterson is the favorite. Opened at minus 265. It's currently minus 156. Pogues opened at plus 228. It's currently plus 139. Not sure why money's coming in on Pogues, but... You know, I guess in some ways he, you know, he's he's been around MMA now for 10 years. So he's certainly uh, a step forward in uh, that kind of in experience in that way. And I know that uh, Peterson lost to Waldo Cortez Acosta at one point. But Cortez Acosta, for all of his, you know, the dislike we may have growing for him, is very clearly a true heavyweight of true heavyweight size. You know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think Hogue seems like he's just an out-of-shape light heavyweight, basically. Yeah. Maybe somebody thought they were buying tickets to see the Pogues. Maybe that's right. Two hundred and you know, hundred and fifty dollars for Pogues. That's that's nothing these days. <laughs> Swinging the whole line. All right. On that note, we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of bonus content for our Substack subscribers coming up here in a moment. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that. Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us. <laughs>